This is the Elevate Podcast, where we have conversations to elevate your health, relationships, and soul. I'm Amanda Noga. I'm a yoga and Ayurveda practitioner, and each week I'm joined by my co-host, holistic health coach, Sarah Hopkins. So let's dive into this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Elevate Podcast. And we're talking about motherhood today, which is something that personally I have wanted to talk about for a long time. And for obvious reasons, Mandy was a little bit reluctant to talk about it until she had become a mum herself. But I think that the experience of motherhood sort of permeates into every corner of your life and it changes you and it affects your health, it affects your relationships, it it affects your spirituality and soul. And so I really think now that we, you and I, Amanda, have this shared experience of motherhood, and I know so many of our listeners do, Mm. um, I'm really excited to talk about it. The total rewriting of, yeah, like you said, every aspect of, of life. And I'm only, you know, nine months into the motherhood path, how old's Rafa now? Nearly. What? He's five. He, he's five. So. Oh my god. I know. I, I just know. realized the other day, like one day Sage is going to be taller than me. <laughs> like I just, you know, no. you just have these moments of like, oh my god, you are going to eventuate into a real adult person, adult. like your own human self. Like right now, he still feels like kind of an extension of me, and we're still sharing my body essentially. So, yeah, it's just, it's so interesting. It's so, someone told me, I don't know if you've heard this, but we're both um, mothers of sons, as you said to me when I gave birth, welcome to the mum of boys club. (laughs) And someone described to me that being a mum of a boy is like the longest breakup you'll ever, ever endure (laughs) as they just... (laughs) gradually pull further and further and further away from you as the years go by and I was like oh my god that is devastating totally devastating oh my god and you know I mean obviously we'll go into this in more depth but I think before you become a mum you have ideas about what sort of a mother you'll be that oftentimes just are totally out of alignment with what actually happens when you what do become a mother. And and then when you have other people around you that are not mothers yet, you know, you often want to say, you don't want to say because it can be insensitive to say, but you want to say, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> just wait until you're there and then we'll talk about, you know, these ideas that you have about, you know what you're going to do with your time in the future or whatever because it's it just it changes the experience of motherhood I I think especially the first and I I guess I can only speak from that experience because I only have one but it is beyond anything that you can really imagine don't you think yeah yeah it's like you can prepare but until it's one of those things that until you're in it you really can't understand. And I think that was, I mean, not to jump ahead, but I think that's been a big 
like aha moment insight for me to my own mum of kind of feeling that I can understand her and empathize with her on a totally different level now I'm kind of like oh I get it I get why you're so <laughs> worried and why you haven't slept for 25 years and <laughs> like oh I get what's happening here Totally. Yeah, totally. And yes, I'm sure we'll explore that in more detail. But maybe, you know, maybe we should dive into, you know, the different areas of our lives, particularly, you know, in the context of health relationships and soul that are affected on a broad scale and also personally for us by this experience of, in our case, motherhood, but in other people's cases, parenthood. Right. And I think we talked quite a lot about nutrition, especially for new mums in our um, episode on the fourth trimester. So if you are, you know, in that or interested in that, you can definitely go back in the feed here and get kind of the detailed explanation on how our health is affected by that first kind of wave of new motherhood. But I think longer term, when we're talking about impacts on our body and our health, for me, what I'm seeing as the biggest impact on our physical health, on my physical health, is sleep. Or should I say lack of sleep? (laughs) And I can kind of see that, like I said, talking to my own mum and talking to other mothers that are further down the road than I am, I feel like if we don't stay on top of our sleep hygiene at this point it this like sleep deprivation can really drag out and affect us on like a 5 10 15 20 year basis you know like even when the kids have grown up and moved out that sleep cycle can still be disturbed which is I guess why I've really tried to stay on top of my sleep game and I know you're religious about this as well Sarah Yeah, I mean, firstly, I just want to say if anybody wants to dive a tiny bit deeper, it's not hugely deep, but just a little bit deeper, definitely go back and listen to our podcast about sleep. So we'll link in the show notes because we do talk about the sort of, you know, the details of how to manage your sleep hygiene and your circadian rhythm um, in a way that is, you know, helpful in terms of health and longevity. And I think you're right, Mandy, that having a baby and having young children is sometimes just a total roadblock to that sort of deep restorative, you know, seven to nine hour sleep episode that we really do need to be having very regularly over the course of our entire lifetime to mitigate against all of the modern diseases and especially to keep our brains healthy Um, and not sort of, you know, fall into all of those um, degenerative diseases. And if you want to, you know, reference that further, Matthew Walker, While We Sleep is a really great resource. Mm. So, but I think, like, when I think about sleep in the context of motherhood, I think the broader theme that sort of covers health and it covers sleep is that when we have a baby, and even a toddler, and and beyond that, it probably never goes away. But when it's a a really dependent infant, we prioritise our baby's needs before our own. 
And so that means that even if we're really tired and we need to sleep, if the baby isn't sleeping and the baby needs us, then we won't, we will uh, compromise our own sleep because we need to be there for our children. But that's just a, that sort of self, just sort of putting ourselves last. Yeah, self-sacrifice, that permeates through every corner of our life. So, you know, Mm. like feeding the toddler, beautiful healthy organic food and then shoving you know whatever we can find into our mouth because yeah because we've we've prioritized the health of our children and then you know making sure that the kids are whatever cleaned and fed and 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 that they've had their exercise and all of these things but they're not leaving any time for us to do that for ourselves so it's and it's conditioned and it's cultural and part of it is physiological because we actually need to make sure because you know once upon a time if we just prioritized ourselves over our baby the baby would have been eaten by a predator or you know left to die so of course we are wired we're wired to do that but there has to be some awareness around that and some you know attempt to sort of rehabilitate that learned behavior and that sort of subconscious behavior that really is to our the detriment of our health well it's tricky because I can only speak from my own experience but even though I've kind of doubled down on my sleep hygiene in the last 12 months and really you know tried to be committed to having that good setup for a, a good sleep experience I'm waking up every two hours and it's not even the inter it's not the like number of hours of sleep that I'm not getting it's the interruptedness Mm. and then the times also when and this is biological you know it's like even the times when Sage is asleep but I'm laying there wide awake and I think uh, there was a cool thing that I read somewhere that you can actually see on an MRI if a woman has brought a child to full-term pregnancy because of the shape of the brain, it changes so radically. The amygdala changes and expands like, don't remember the number, but like 2,000 times or something. And that's that, you know, super vigilant, hyper-aware part of the brain yes. that helps us to, yeah, keep, keep Be our, on high alert. Yeah, and keep our baby safe. But the reality of of our life now here now is that you know 99% of the time they are perfectly safe we don't need to be in that super vigilant but it's it's really hard to like override that even though I'm doing all of the doing all the things it's um yeah I feel like on to some point it's just the way that we are wired and it's for such a short time I guess in the scheme of things like this first 12 months of being a mum but still but I, it's tricky. I, but I think that I think thinking about like examples of, you know, people that I know, I think maybe you've even mentioned that your mum's a bit like this, like still sleeping lightly. You know, the mm-hmm. prob the problem with that is that what happens is that the amygdala can sort of get stuck in a cycle of being in that sort of hypervigilant state. And the way that it gets sort of stuck there is by like uh, uh, sort of chronic levels of stress exposure over time. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, if we think about like the concept of postnatal depletion, which I feel like most people know that little buzzword, especially if they're a mum that 
um, with every subsequent child, particularly if there's not adequate child spacing, then the mum, the mother is getting more and more run down and, and that sort of nutrient depletion and, and sleep depletion and energy depletion is creating a chronic stress state. And so mm-hmm. the, the capacity to actually get out of that, that sort of amygdala-driven state becomes impossible and over time maybe it's just it, that's a chronic state in and of itself and it's you know, like a learned behavior almost that's right to be and, more then, and to be anxious because exactly and and to not be able to sleep you know years and years after your baby has grown up is a sign that that there's you know something going on within the physiology that isn't that isn't right and that potentially was set up at that time but never addressed because of the just ongoing and enduring stressors that sort of life Mm -hmm. throws at us, you know. Mm. Tools or I guess the deprioritization of using the tools that help us to release that stress. Yeah, and, you know, like coming back to sleep, we are depleted. Part of the reason that there is an epidemic of postnatal depletion of women being – in an ongoing capacity in a depleted state postnatally rather than just having a period of, you know, sort of natural depletion. But part of that reason is, you know, because we're not actually getting adequate sleep. So we do need to do everything that we can to prioritise our sleep. Mm -hmm. And I know that you are doing that. And, you know, over time, hopefully, if generally speaking for women, um, if they can teach their children to sleep, which is an important skill that all humans need to learn, so it's not being cruel, um, and then really focus on getting their own circadian rhythm back into balance, mm-hmm. then they won't have that, you know, in, chronic interruption to their sleep. Like, yeah, bleeding out into the years and years and years. Yeah. But I know so many women who have never experienced anxiety in their life up until the point of becoming a mum. But interestingly, Sarah, you are quite the contrary to this. I feel (laughs) like you you weren't a a super anxious, stressy, helicopter mum. I mean, not now, not even in the beginning. So please explain, how are you so chill? Well, okay, let's take it back for a minute. So firstly, I am a bit of an anxious person. Um, and Which is have like a... such a surprise that you went in a helicopter. I know. Well, I think, you know, we've had this conversation before, but um, one of my friends who's just like, he's known me for like 20 years and he calls a spade a spade. He doesn't mince words. He says what he thinks and sometimes you can be offended by it, but I know and love him well enough now to know that, you know, he doesn't mean it that way and it's good to have someone that's very honest. And I remember him saying, I thought you were going to be a nightmare mom, like such a stress head and like such a helicopter. And he's like, you're so chilled out. I don't think I've ever seen anyone more chilled out than you. Yeah. And and I, I think agree. you even, yeah, I think you even sort of witnessed that as well. Um, and I can't explain it because I do have like, you know, we've talked about the doshas, the three different Ayurvedic doshas and the different constitutions and the vata, which is the, 
more prone to stress constitution you know I have that in spades and you know so I think that's my it's my sort of constitution to be anxious my mother is anxious my grandmother was anxious you know it's modeled and it's um, generational and it's constitutional mm-hmm. but something about parenting Raf has chilled me out <laughs> I, don't, I actually don't know what it is I mean and in the beginning I would have said that it was oxytocin because mm-hmm. you know I was really in the love bubble and um, you know all that oxytocin was being produced after my birth and and certainly you know every time I fed Raf but it's been enduring like there's not that much that stresses me out about wrath and and so maybe this is something that we kind of can't pin down but it's it's tangible the the kind of healing reparenting that the, our babies can potentially bring to our to our life yeah definitely and I guess that's sort of moving into more of the soul stuff but definitely you know I feel like there has definitely been some reparenting and some healing you know that has occurred through Raphael I mean I'm certainly not not perfect though I still snap at him (laughs) you know when he's annoying me but of um, course but maybe it's his what is he Capricorn yeah he's a Capricorn Maybe it's his grounding effect on you. Yeah. Who well, knows? Whatever, whatever it is, you know, I guess that's that's one positive health aspect. I'm not saying that I'm not without my moments of stress and anxiety. I am like every other mum. But, you know, he has had, I am a different mother to the one that I expected myself to be in terms of and I'm and and it's a pleasing expectation you know a lot of the other expectations are different but that has been one aspect that has been the opposite well I guess you know like I said at the beginning I think hello it's Sarah here And I'm just briefly interrupting this episode to tell you a little bit more about what I offer. So I've worked with literally hundreds and hundreds of women, helping them transform their health, hormones, fertility and more. And I absolutely love working one-on-one with women because we're all uniquely different. So if you're interested in learning more about coaching with me, or if you're ready to book an initial consultation, you'll find the link in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you. Motherhood is like always just going to whack you in the face with an unexpected consequence or an unexpected, you know, characteristic than what you were, you know, expecting. It's Mm. just, and also it's constantly changing. Yeah. So, you know, this, like you're in a stage right now where your sleep is interrupted, but you know, and there's he say baby sage or not so baby sage is changing all the time you know and that just that never stops he is going to keep evolving you're going to keep having to adapt and change and deal with whatever the new stage of his life looks like and how you have to parent at that stage which is why they're such little teachers of presence because we have to just be present with whatever is happening that week and you know what worked last week might not work this week or next month or whatever it's like constantly asking us to address what is in the present moment 
But I just want to circle back for a second and say that it's really normal and, yeah, it's really normal to experience this heightened anxiety in new motherhood especially because if we if we take it through the Ayurvedic lens, that time postpartum and, in you know, in Ayurveda the postpartum period is really understood to be like at least three to four years. That is governed by predominantly the vata dosha which is all about movement and change. And like you were saying, there is so much movement and change that's constantly keeping us on our toes. And a byproduct of that or our tendency when we're in that vata dosha dominance is to be feeling more anxious. And I guess Mm. just to know that it's really normal and it's not something that um, we can we we also we kind of like don't have to take it so personally. It's not like something's wrong with us. It's just a natural cause and effect to what we're experiencing in that phase of life. But I guess if we go back back, it's understanding that rest is your medicine and just resting as much as you can whenever you can in those in those early years. Like it does I feel like for me, my priority is rest and I know that that's also a privilege and I will say that it's also a choice like not everything has to be you know all the ducks in a row not everything like there doesn't have to be the perfect meal made or you know the house perfectly clean or whatever rest is more important than any of those things to me and so if that means I lie down and do a yoga nidra while Sage is having his notoriously short nap then (laughs) that's what I'll do you know Yes. I feel like it's a choice that we make and it's worth making that choice to rest because that is what is going to help mitigate that heightened anxiety and the depletion, the postnatal depletion. And I guess that sort of circles right back to all the sleep stuff because, you know, and again, for me, it comes back to, and obviously this is not an episode about sleep training children. I know you probably wish that it was, Mandy, because that's your like favorite topic right now but you know it is about looking at ways that you can if the baby's young and obviously this isn't relevant for mums of older children hopefully is teaching them that those same skills um Mm -hmm. so that because you know I want Raphael to be a good sleeper and to know how to, to fall asleep and to sleep well and deeply because that's going to keep him healthy and if he sleeps well and deeply, so will I. Mm-hmm. And that's self-care, you know, and that starts quite young. Totally. And having that positive relationship to sleep and rest is really, really important. There's a thing going around at the moment, and I know you're not on TikTok, but it was on TikTok. Um, uh, what do they call it? It's like procrast- sleep procrastination revenge or something like that. And I was saying, oh, like, yes. you've got that. Like, he yes. Mark stays up until like crazy hours and it's a sign, the idea is it's a sign that people do this when they have like little control over their daytime life. Yes, yes. And so they I, I have stay heard up. about this. I know you don't do it because you're very um, good at going to bed at 8 o'clock. <laughs> but I feel like that's also for babies. Like I kind of took that little, you know, thing that was going around on TikTok but applied it in my mind because it's my consuming my life at the moment if the babies feel that they don't have control or a sense of routine or ritual throughout the day 
then it's harder to have that positive relationship to sleep and rest. You know what I mean? hundred percent. A hundred percent. Now let's not get into the weeds of sleep training. No, we'll we'll no, no, take no. that let's move on. we'll take that offline. But I agree. I mean, and that's why putting those like routines in early will actually, you know, just a side note, and this this would be helpful for anyone, what we do during the day is actually setting us up for a good night's sleep. So like eating at regular and just the right amount sort of intervals during the day sort of delineates daytime from nighttime and so you know and sort of and I know that there's the the different times I like according to the different doshas of the day you know Uh so I think that the daytime having routines and rhythms in the day is setting us up for what we do at nighttime and that includes like you know the sleep procrastination stuff as well um so yeah and that's I just think, really aligning to the rhythms of nature so yeah again and again we just we should just mimic what is happening in nature but let us move on from sleep because you yes. and I both love talking about sleep yes until the cows come home <laughs> um, there's a lot more to talk about when it comes to motherhood so yes. I let's think we should talk pivot. about relationships yes definitely so well, first of all, the person that you made the child with <laughs> or, you know, the person that you're parenting with or helped you to transition into becoming a mother, let's talk about how that relationship changes. Mm. Well, yeah, obviously a lot of people say and sort of known anecdotally and culturally that a lot of relationships will break down, you know, in the, you know, early years of a child's life or yeah. or, or disintegrate and maybe stay together. But um, the birth of a baby puts a lot of strain on intimate relationships. And, you know, you, I mean, you, you've experienced this more recently than me, but I think one of the challenges is that your attention and your love and your devotion and your energy sort of swings from the partner over to the baby. And again, it's a physiological response, but it can be really hard for the partner because they feel neglected and they feel discarded. And mm-hmm. um, that can create, you know, resentment and, yeah, it can and can create relationship issues. Well, you really are, with the birth of that baby, and I can imagine that it happens again and again with every subsequent baby that comes into the family, but you're really stepping into a brand new relationship as soon as that child is born. And I think if we don't, if we're not aware that that's happening and just expect that the relationship is going to continue on as it was pre-baby, then that that can be the struggle because we're trying to make it something that it's just not anymore and attaching to, you know, what was, again, being present with what is. But it's weird. I know I, you know, I've expressed this to you. It's like that weird feeling that you are, like, having a love affair with, <laughs> like, two two different people. It's like you just suddenly completely consumed and in love with this baby and then on the other hand of course there's the love of the partner that you have the partner and you know there's so many beautiful things like seeing 
seeing your partner also move into that role of being a parent is really is really beautiful but the expanded definition of love that you experience when you have a baby it just doesn't compare it just you cannot compare it to the love that you have for another adult and that's just definitely not a fact because it's (laughs) unconditional it's it's like unconditional and especially you know in those early years it's like physiologically designed to Uh keep you like you know single-mindedly and you know obsessively for want of a better word it's not the right word focused on that that child that you need to care for because they're still vulnerable and you know we have children that are dependent on us for I think we're the mammals with children that have the longest sort of dependency period of all of the Mm. mammals you know like a lot of them it's weeks or a couple of months and some of them it's just like cut and run as soon as they're born but we you know we (laughs) maybe not mammals I'm 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 not an expert on this but you know like like um you know reptiles they just leave the eggs and it's just like see you later I hope you make it you know but we we our children you know they don't um they're dependent on us for many many years so we are right though that unconditional love that you experience it and it just is well yeah maybe it's not everyone's experience but it's the potential is there to just experience to experience unconditional love without even trying whereas in a relationship with another adult you can you can think about unconditional love and you can practice loving each other unconditionally but it's really um something that requires you know like effort and presence and that's you know that's also got its gifts you know being in a relationship where you are wanting to practice that and really mirror each other and be like healthy triggers for one another and all of that that has its you know its beauty and its gifts but it's just completely different to having that unconditional love served up on a platter without even having to cultivate it you know totally totally and I think just um another comment is you know like again back to the physiology of it like I know that a lot of people struggle when they first, women struggle when they first give birth and they just do not feel like having sex with their partner and their partner is used to that being at least one of their sort of, you know, connecting um, moments of intimacy. And But the physiology mm-hmm. is just not at all set up to even want that. Like post-birth, obviously, there's some pain and repair. And then after that, you know, for a while when you're breastfeeding, it's just, it's not. It, it, the, the female body many times, and not always, some women are different, but it, it, it isn't geared towards um, intercourse. It's actually because, you know, there's no need for a baby to be made straight away. So mm-hmm. it, it, I think that's, that's a hard bridge to cross that's together. That's a major Totally. This conversation's come up so many times in my circles recently. I'm around lots of new mums and it's, it's yeah, it's a real legitimate challenge and, you know, not all of our, our um, friends here are in hetero relationships but it comes up in, in every, you know, new parent relationship that I've seen but there's kind of like the common 
understanding that women need to feel connected to want to have sex and men need to have sex to feel connected. Mm, Yes. And so for, I guess I can only speak again from my own experience and my own, you know, what's happening in our house, but it's like as the new dad to be kind of like relegated to the sidelines and suddenly I'm like, you know, sleeping with another person, like literally (laughs) sleeping with another person in the bed and he's relegated to another bedroom. It's like, oh, And, yeah, that time that we had to connect with one another has been totally changed. I think the thing that I'm seeing come up, and I don't have any, like, you know, science or anything behind this, but just between friends, it seems to be that, you know, women who are breastfeeding and especially before their um, period returns, the desire for sex, it's in a very different kind of flavour. So the, the flavour is more um, like tender and intimate and cosy and gentle. There's not the desire for like wild, crazy, you know, like super hot, passionate sex. That's That's just a different kind of flavour that doesn't seem to kind of return. But what we're seeing, this is like case study of our little like circle of new mum friends, is once periods come back, there's a definite shift in the desire and sex drive. And to me this makes perfect sense because it's like, okay, all of a sudden you're ovulating again. For sure, you know, I'm – I'm not ready to have another baby right now, nor any of my friends who have got new babies. But biologically, we're getting back into that rhythm of, of, yeah, ovulating and feeling that real pull and desire and urge to connect with partner in that kind of passionate, super, you know, super like sexy way rather than just like a cozy, sweet, which also has its, you know, beauty. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't remember the, the sort of desires in terms of the different types of um, intimacy in any conversations or my own experience, but that makes total sense, I think, from a sort of physiological perspective. And um, I think if more people can understand, and I think, but I also think, you know, it is important to understand it's important for the mother to understand that her body doesn't feel like it because I know a lot of mothers that berate themselves for that and make Mm -hmm. themselves feel less than and you know inadequate and insecure insecure about their body already and insecure about their relationship then if they're not providing that to their partner But if Mm -hmm. the mother can be aware that that's a real thing and that it's sort of a physiological thing then maybe she can articulate that to her partner and help him to because you know ultimately on the other side of that is also a man that is feeling rejected and especially a lot of men do lean heavily on physical intimacy as their 
only expression of emotion because it is for many men and it's the only Mm -hmm. avenue that they've been allowed in you know a very conventional masculine culture right Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. that on the other side of that there's a lot of vulnerability and insecurity that's probably not even conscious that can I don't know be can be nurtured a little bit you know by that conversation and by the awareness that it's a thing and that it's not personal and don't you think mm-hmm. oh 100 percent. there's a couple of things going on here so first of all like jane harvey collins said in our way back <laughs> interview that we did with her she's my guru if you guys haven't picked up on that already <laughs> <laughs> something along the lines of you know not the time for the men to ask for that kind of um, attention and prioritization in the time in life for men to look after themselves and man up like look after yourself you know the mom's looking yeah. after the baby yeah that's the priority but I think what's also really really important is yeah for women not to see it as some kind of failing on their part or to feel guilty or you know, like you mentioned, any of the feelings that can go alongside that lack of desire, it's so loaded for women. Mm. And I think something that's really, really key is for us to, and this goes beyond the bedroom, like to be able to say no without justification or Mm. even explanation. And Mm. then what that no does when it's an honest no is it means that the yes is also an honest yes. And, it, you know, then we're not just doing it, and this goes for sex and it goes for any other thing that we might say yes to. We're not just doing the yes thing because we feel like we should. We're doing it because we actually really want to and we can be there fully present and fully engaged and also with the same desire. And it's not coming from that kind of, yeah, that underlying fuel of guilt or insecurity or oh we have to otherwise I'm going to get a divorce or you know yeah whatever the other things might be kind of coming into the bedroom like if the no I mean if yes is coming from that place of guilt and insecurity and feeling like we should then it's not a real yes yeah and, and that I can there's a fine line you know where not that we have to like push past the resistance, but there is kind of there is some work to be done there to see that, oh, okay, maybe the resistance or the lack of desire isn't just physiological because just like the sleep thing, it becomes a learned response. If we're mm. if we're saying no and we're not wanting to engage in that way, eventually so much stuff builds up between you know, the actual, the two partners, there's so much layered in between there of, you know, the rejection and the time after time and the basically disconnection. And it takes a lot to kind of bridge that gap again and to kind of, yeah, if we think about it as a bridge, to literally make that bridge of connection again over or through all of the shit that's in between and actually come back to a point of real connection and real intimacy in an honest way. I've just I, there's so much there like for us to mm. really really look at and that's that's deep work and that's important work and I think in a 
relationship, an intimate relationship where we're navigating new parenthood and, you know, this can be the first year, the first five years and for sure as it goes on and on and on, that's the work of being in a long-term committed relationship that has a real, where you're still having intimacy and you're still connecting in a deep way. You know, I know probably for generations past that, that went out the window a long time ago after babies came along and, you know, life just happens and you kind of become this platonic harmonious unit of raising children. I think that's a really easy path to to walk down. But what's really interesting to me is kind of getting through all of that stuff and still being able to connect in a new way. It's not going to be the same as before we had kids. For so yeah. many reasons. I'm just going yeah. on and on now, but I feel like there's <laughs> so much to There's so talk much about here. there. Yeah, and I feel like there's so many other things, you know, like there's hormonal changes, there's the changes that happen in relationships, there's, you know, physiological changes that happen. Yeah, like there's many, many, many things. But even for those people that don't have children, sometimes these same sort of phenomena occur in terms of like waning waning intimacy. But, yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you and I feel like we could probably do a whole podcast on that at some point. Well, I'll just give a little plug to my friend Lacey Haynes who has a brilliant online course, um, Sex Elevated, that we'll link in the show notes. But yes. she's also a new mum. Our babies are actually just day five days apart. And she, along with her partner, her husband, Flynn, they've created an online course to, yeah, to help couples come back to um, wholeness and intimacy and connection. So anyway. I love her. I love her stuff and I've watched a few of her videos and it's helpful even for me with, you know, a, an older child just to sort of, you know, she's got some really practical strategies around, you know, rebridging that that gap as we've already sort of alluded to. So definitely mm-hmm. check her out. Um, so let's let's talk about a few other relationships and then we'll pivot into soul a bit. But um, I sort of I felt like, you know, motherhood changed friendships. I feel like motherhood has such a big I mean obviously we'll we'll pivot to family you know extended family in a minute but you know for me and I I, I know that this is very common because this is something I definitely have spoken to my many of my friends and my mother friends about but it not only can it change friendships that have children of different ages to your children but it can also change and alter friendships um, with people that don't have children. And it's it's because your your life becomes, you know, more complex and, and, and your time, you know, is focused in areas that, say, with people that don't have children is, it's just, it's it creates distance and separation by virtue of the fact that if it was someone you were going out with, regularly you just you can't go out with them anymore um or if it was someone that you were you know doing a spin class with every whatever night of the week and now you you can't do that so there's you know there can be that real sense of separation and I think I did an Instagram post about this a long time ago that 
you know, at times I found the motherhood journey really lonely because I didn't have friends with kids exactly the same age. So even though they shared the experience of motherhood, where they were in their timeline of motherhood was so different Mm. to me. So, and I wasn't working as much and I was at home and I had time and I wanted to connect with my friends, but they were either working or doing their school runs and doing things. And so there were moments and maybe even years where I felt I did. I felt that the the experience of motherhood that I so love and loved was also an alienating experience. Totally. I had an experience recently where I went to a gathering that just happened to be you know, a bunch of women, um, beautiful friends of mine, but I was just kind of, I guess, by coincidence, the only the only woman there who had a baby who was a mum and I had stayed with me at the at the gathering as well just to just to add another kind of layer to it but it was just such a stark contrast of oh my life is just not like this anymore you know the maiden the maiden phase is like well and truly over and it's just it's just so different on, again, every layer. And I feel like there's sometimes we get some projection or maybe like opinions that like, oh, you must miss, you know, life before like maiden, you, you know, you must miss your maiden life. And I just, I don't know. I just don't. <laughs> I'm really. Oh, I definitely don't. <laughs> No, and I feel like, you know, like thinking back to when I was in that phase, I personally ended up drawing closer to my friends who were pregnant and then, you know, having babies. I feel like those were the friendships that I actually, like when someone told me they were pregnant, I kind of like pulled them closer. (laughs) And I don't I think that was partly because my lifestyle would more available to you know to hang out with my new mum friends even you know before I was a mum just like my you know having yoga studio and stuff like that I had free time in the day and I had kind of a chill kind of schedule in that way and I could go to the park and meet you know and babysit in the day if they needed help or whatever and I think that because I also wasn't really connecting with my friends that were like partying a Mm. lot. It was a lot of times that coincided like, okay, you know, they're, they're moving. I can think of a handful of friends. Okay. They're full and pregnant. Now they're moving out of that partying phase and now we can like reconnect and actually become friends because (laughs) we're (laughs) on the same page again, you know? Hey, it's Amanda and I'm here to fill you in on where to go to get started on living your best life yet. Paths to You is my online membership where I weave together the teachings of yoga and Ayurveda to guide you back to your true nature, your best self. It's the most affordable way to receive all of my online workshops. There's everything from detoxing and doshas, sleep and sex, women's cycles, 
and the corresponding yoga practices that go alongside the information shared so that you can truly embody your unique expression of health and vibrancy. There's also a really special 40-day path included that walks you through the inner work of living with more passion, power, and purpose. So to get started with your seven-day free trial, head to the Paths to You website linked in the show notes. And now, back to the episode. Yeah. And I've also heard like from the perspective of the other side, like people that haven't had children yet, like, I mean, maybe some of my clients um, will say, oh, it's really annoying or boring or whatever. Like, you know, if all of their friends have started to have babies or the the, the circle that has, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's not really interesting to them to just talk about sleep training and whatever the phase of parenthood is that maybe a bunch of their friends are going through. So it's not just a disconnect for the mum, the mother. It, it can also be a disconnect at the other end that, that, that the friend can sort of see that there's that you're on a different path and, and they can sort of separate themselves from you for that reason as mm. well. And I can totally understand that sleep training is not interesting to most people <laughs> unless it's your current, you know, consuming your life. But uh, and on the other side as well, it's also like oh, talking about like I don't know, I can't even think of an example. But like talking about you know clubbing or something just becomes totally disinteresting as well when you're in that motherhood phase. It's I guess. Again, it's coming back to presence and just honouring that, okay, yeah, we're moving into a different phase of life and maybe our paths are separating a little bit for this time and, you know, maybe we'll come back together or maybe we'll, you know, be able to stay connected throughout the different phases. But, again, I think the struggle comes in when we try to attach ourselves to what was and we're not Mm. present with what is and we're trying to recreate you know our old life or our old relationship dynamics when the truth is it's just totally different now and that's Mm. okay yeah totally yeah just I guess that that sort of pervasive for want of a better word not pervasive but sort of all encompassing theme of acceptance all the way all the way it's like sex in the city when Miranda has her baby and she's like you know exhausted and a mess and (laughs) Samantha's there talking about like I don't know dildos or something and it's just (laughs) like they I think there's a whole episode of sex in the city about that friendship dynamic and how it changes and pivots and necessarily needs to and we it's I guess just about having compassion for where everyone's at yeah definitely and um what about family relationships I know that you've already alluded to it but you you feel like it sort of added by the sounds of it it sort of deepened your relationship or respect for your mum knowing and understanding the experience more fully I think it's pretty common that having a baby and becoming a mother changes our relationship with our own mother and there's that opportunity again for healing through that portal 
And of course, there's like the, oh, wow, thank you for everything you did for me. Like a oh, totally new level of appreciation and understanding. Um, but I guess for me personally, and this will be the experience for a lot of people that have had babies this year and probably, you know, in the, the year that's to come, it's the grandparent um relationship kind of hasn't manifested in the way that I would have imagined or envisioned because of COVID and being separated by borders and, you know, travel restrictions and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like I haven't really been able to dive into that grandparent relationship for, like, yeah, to see my mum go into that role because she hasn't been able to meet Sage and squeeze him and cuddle him and love on him in that way. So sad. Which sucks. It totally sucks. And I know so many other people that are also in the same boat and it just, you know, it just sucks, plain and simple. There's kind of no silver Mm. linings. It's just, Mm. it's just shit. Um, But, you know, nonetheless, I can definitely empathize and appreciate my mum for yeah the total dedication and the total worry that she (laughs) you know that she like endured for for me and for for my brothers and sisters it's it's just yeah it's understanding on a different level and also I think you know, for me, like understanding, and I'm sure it's the same for you, like your mum had four kids and my mum had three and she basically raised us from the time I was about nine, pretty much 95% of the time, like as a single mum, working single mum. And just like having one kid and being with a partner and knowing like how hard that is in our modern day world and just thinking how on earth, like, respect like proper Mm. respect you know through the filter of motherhood having that deep respect um and appreciation um I had it before but it was I think it was superficial it was like oh my mum raised us and you know it was a concept that I rolled out probably parroting her but when I had Rafi went oh wow wow that's amazing Mm. like you know and she was our primary parent and you know I think she we've we are all so much more a reflection of her parenting style than we are of my dad's, you know. And so mm-hmm. just seeing seeing that all, like I said, through that, that filter of my own experience just um, sort of deepens that appreciation and respect. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a nice pivot into soul and, you know. Well, it's also kind of like the relationship that we have with ourselves and how mm. that changes completely as well as you know the way that all of our other relationships transform we yes. also transform and yes. it's you know going through the motherhood transition transformation is one of the formative rites of passage that many women go through and we are reborn when we birth our babies. We we also birth ourselves anew, you know, and we become not only 
mothers, but we we kind of bring with us into that new phase. We let go of a lot. There's the the death of you know for in order for the mother to be born, the maiden has to die, and we are multi-dimensional beings. You know where we bring with us our role as a daughter and as a sister and a lover, and then all of that all of those layers kind of make up who we are as a mother and then to hold that space to hold that role of the mother for our babies is just one of the biggest honors of my life really <laughs> oh my god i couldn't agree more and i have to share a story that i think i've shared with you before but my family, you know, if we think about the love languages, like physical touch is like off, like if there's a book with the five love languages in a household, that one wasn't even on in the book. Like someone forgot to put that in our family's book. <laughs> like we, we're not particularly, well, not, not particularly, we're like not a tactile family. We don't say I love you, which is words of affirmation in terms of the five love languages. They're not are love languages and I know that I speak for my siblings and I know that I speak for myself when I say that that's the experience of my family for us um and so and even Iggy you know he's very tactile and that Italian sort of overly demonstrative and like you know and even choosing him and sometimes he's like just give me a bloody hug yeah you know (laughs) you cold-hearted bitch (laughs) and stuff like that you know like he just comes and basically tackles me and attacks me and I like just push him away because it's like weird but (laughs) I feel like but I feel like Raphael has taught so you know talking about that sort of spiritual work and 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 even you know what the experience of motherhood teaches us but also what our own children teach us about ourselves well Mm. Rafa has taught me how to love in a different way that you know how to express my love like he is so tactile and so demonstrative and obviously his dad is like that but you know he demands that of me in his nature yeah and he's like constantly telling me he loves me just randomly I love you mummy I love you mummy and just like constantly (laughs) hugging me and like just grabbing me like if I walk past him he'll just like grab me and like hug me it's just it's so divine and you know he's teaching me how to receive that in a way that I was never taught by my own parents Mm mm-hmm and that's a soul yeah. that's a soul lesson right totally it's um, yeah it's how we it's how we grow and evolve ourselves our consciousness mm. that reparenting thing again it's if we can see our our children as reflections and reflectors to us you know holding up the mirror to what needs to be seen in ourselves what needs to be understood what needs to be loved within ourselves that is you know part of our karma with our kids part of our soul contract our agreement you know not only are we gonna carry them inside of us and you know birth 
birth them and nourish them and bathe them and, you know, help them to learn how to walk and talk and all of the things. It's That is our karma in, in the pure sense of the word. It's the higher service mm-hmm. that we can experience on the planet, really. Yeah. And it's a joy and it's a challenge for sure. It's not to oh, say that it's all a million percent rainbows, but that's part of it. The challenge is part of the divine service. You know, that's as Ramdas would say, that's grist for the mill. It's that's going to help us to move into the next layer of consciousness and to evolve. Yeah. You know? mm. And I think that, you know, the parenting experience you if you're conscious and I'm not always conscious so please don't take this as me you know trying to say that I'm some sort of expert but it shows you to me what I see a lot and and am conscious of is my own the the modeling that I experienced and then that I am remodeling that and then, you know, hopefully in some instances pulling myself out of it. And mm-hmm. and and parts of my shadow, so, you know, triggers parts of myself that I haven't um, worked through that are coming up and being reflected either in how I'm reacting to Raphael. Like an, an example is... Um, and I see this with Iggy a lot, and I, you know, I, I say with Iggy, he's a little bit less spiritual, so sometimes I don't bother saying it, but sometimes I try. He gets, and this is a very common parent experience, I think, mothers and fathers, but he gets really triggered by Raphael's emotion mm-hmm. because he, that was not okay, like for for so many men, but 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 for mm-hmm. humans actually, you know, like the mm. the outbursts of emotion are mm-hmm. like so triggering, and so that you know, like he'll get angry if Rafa starts crying and getting upset, he'll get angry at that and 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 start to react himself, and it's his inner child that's getting upset because he was told that was wasn't okay either, mm-hmm. and I can and see that's it. Just I can... coming up as an opportunity to. Love that that part of ourselves. That's right. And so, and I can see, I think by seeing it playing out in front of me, I can take a different strategy when Raphael gets upset around me so that he feels held. And I mean, I'm going to recommend her, but Janet Lansbury has, who Mm. is an, an, uh, an expert on sort of respectful parenting, has some really great strategies around sitting with or allowing the child to sit with whatever emotion they are feeling rather than, oh, shush, be quiet, or you're okay, you're okay when they fall over and start Uh. crying. And You know, I see so many parents, you know, the child falls over and they're like, you're okay, you're okay, like straight away. And it's like let them feel however they're feeling for a minute. Let them Mm. have that emotional response, like they got scared, maybe they grazed their knee, they hurt themselves, like let them cry. Don't just tell them they're okay. Yeah, and let like holding them, space for them to feel whatever they want to feel, and then let that emotion be an okay emotion. Totally. So that they're not repressing like we all are all the time. There's a cool thing that people say. I don't know where I first heard this, but it's like whatever age your child is, is what's going to be coming up for you 
in your timeline. So, for example, you know, let's just say Rafa is five years old now. So whatever he's experiencing and whatever's coming up between the two of you is an opportunity for you to hear whatever was your experience when you were five years old. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And, you know, it goes back to everything. It's like the birth is an opportunity to heal our own birth. Yeah, when they're when they're one, or when the next when their sibling comes in, or mm. you know when they're thirteen, it's an opportunity to heal and understand and love our own thirteen-year-old self. Yeah, I love that. I love that too. <laughs> Do you have any um, anything else to say about spiritual slash soul components of parenting? Um, no, but I'll slide straight into recommendations because there's two books that I've listened to on Audible in the last year that have really been helpful for me and kind of are shaping the way that I'm navigating motherhood. And I also just think Audible is amazing for mums because you can listen (laughs) as you're breastfeeding or, you know, like I said, I often lay down and Um, listen to a podcast or a book when Sage is sleeping. So the first one um, ties in very much to what we've been talking about and it's called Unconditional Parenting and it's by Alfie Kong. We'll link in the show notes. But that's really, really cool. And, you know, uh, he unpacks just all of the common and I guess unconscious programmed things that we do without even really questioning. So like he goes through all the different things like timeouts and helicopter parenting and positive reinforcement and just all of the things that we do out of habit and out of pattern and just because we that's how we were parented and that's mm. what we were modelled and kind well, of I love the sound gives of that. us a new prey. Yeah, it's it's a, such a good book. Um, and the second one that I listened to quite a while ago is called Raising a Secure Child. Um, and that's by someone, it's by a few authors actually, but again, we'll link in the show notes. Kent Hoffman is the primary author, but, um, yeah, Raising a Secure Child. So that's two recommendations that I think are really brilliant. And I think, I also just want to say that above all else, beyond any books that you can read and any advice that you can receive from any, you know, friend, family or parenting expert, the best thing you can, the best thing you can listen to is your own intuition as a mother. Mother knows best. Mm. And to really cultivate that relationship with your own intuition and trust it, not only listen to it, but trust it and act on it, that's going to be your best guide for for parenting your child because you know your child best you know your intuition best and so I think above all else that's what we should be honoring totally totally and you know I mean I hear so many stories from clients and anecdotally and people that you know might have had issues like that they've taken their children to hospital or to specialists and they have they know that something's not right and, and they're often told mm-hmm. by these institutions, no, your baby's fine, take it home. And, you know, sometimes those stories end tragically, but other times, you know, um, they were right that, that we do often have that guidance there, that that intuitive, that 
that feeling about something and we do need to tap into that and trust that more because we do know, just like we know our bodies best, we also know Mm. our children best. Totally agree. Um, Okay, so my recommendation is, so I've only really sort of briefly referenced her like five seconds ago but she I would say of all of the things that I've read and to be honest I tried not to read too much about parenting because I I did want it to sort of just evolve as as it evolved Um, but the one that I just kept coming back to and I've read her book one of her books about three times is um, Janet Lansbury and she is a I suppose, a protege of um, a lady called Magda Gerber who sort of, I guess, started the respectful parenting, although she calls it something else, Ryan. I can't um, remember what Rye stands for. But anyway, Janet Lansbury, she is an absolute authority on sort of, I suppose you would say her interpretation of conscious parenting, but it's very practical. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not woo-woo. It's very, very approachable. Everybody everybody that listens to her will resonate with her message and you know she's got really great books my my favorite book is the book I think she's got two books I think one might be called respectful parenting and that sort of covers everything and then the other book is called no bad kids and that's the one that yeah. I've read at least three times um and on my audible list that one you will find as um, sage grows up a little bit I think you'll find that really because it's that the byline is like um, toddler discipline without shame mm. and so when Rafa was a toddler I was like oh, I need to read that book again <laughs> um, to try and remember what she said um, but she's also got an amazing podcast which is great you know for yeah, time for people so to listen to yeah and that's called Unruffled and you can find that wherever you get your podcasts and I think that that's a wrap that's a wrap Thank you so much, as always, for listening to the Elevate podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate and review so we can keep bringing these conversations to you all.